0: Because if you are able to lay it out like this and and state the business case in these terms and the time well spent, you're gonna have a distinct advantage over your competitors. Control Talk Now is a video cast and podcast where we talk about all smart controls, but what would a conversation be without my coach and yours, the man, the myth, the legend, the one, the only, Kenny Sinclair. That's right, folks, Ken Smyers is actually stranded in Mexico without internet connection. So Ken Sinclair has agreed to step in and be the co-host this week. Ken, welcome to the show. Big dog.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, those are big boots to, to fill for the uh, the Pittsburgh boy. Uh, glad that he's getting some sun, enjoying himself. Uh, lost in Mexico doesn't sound like such a bad idea.
0: If you got to write tequila and you don't eat the worm, I think you're in pretty good shape. So uh, Right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, listen, Ken, before we, you know, first of all, let's start. You got the August issue has hit the street. It's out. Tell our community about the theme.
1: Building Whispers, that's kind of uh, I think you mentioned it in one of our last uh, uh, podcasts or control talks, I guess we should call them. And uh, it's been a good title. It's created some interest. Uh, We're seeing a little bit of interest in the uh, magazine. We're kind of crossing over from talking to uh, traditionally building automation propeller heads and starting to move over to a few IT uh, propeller heads. The other thing we're starting to see is this whole social side of what it is we're doing, which uh, certainly something I don't know much about and I'm struggling with. But
0: uh, whoa, 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 Wait a second, man. You have more Twitter followers and more, I mean, you, you are like the king of social media, man. So, but, hey, real quick, before before we, we continue on, I want to give our community a little stable datum because those youngsters might not know where the reference, the building whisperers come from. But, uh, but there was a movie back in the day, with, I think it was Robert Redford. And the deal was with Robert Redford, they would have these horses that couldn't be tamed or were sick or whatever, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. And Robert Redford sort of had the ability to be in tune with them and could, you know, communicate with them, right? And uh, so I, I think it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a very apt sort of uh, reference, I think, to uh, building automations and, and sort of where we're going with this whole digital mindfulness thing.
1: I think so too. I think it's that the, the touchy feely side of the building as I keep saying and uh, the empathy for the humanity that is inside of the building and the very purpose of the building. So uh, it does require us to dig a little deeper. In the final analysis as always we keep talking about all these new things but in in the uh, in the end we have to uh, we have to turn the temperature up or down or close the window shade and uh, we basically have to anticipate have empathy for what the people in the building want no exactly exactly
0: now you know this whole thing about uh you know the humanization of the building if you will you know and, and i'm getting sort of a lot of uh you know comments about well what do we do as a systems integrator what do we do and uh how do we do that uh, but i think it's relevant i think the deal is that that you know we at Control trends and you at building automation controls we, we sort of track the trends and and The reason we keep bringing this up is is this is unavoidable. This is going to happen. And like with every trend that comes about, being aware of it creates a great opportunity. Even though we don't necessarily know how that's going to manifest just yet, not being aware of it means you can be left out.
1: I agree. I very much agree. And uh, when I first met Lawrence, that was uh, was a connection for me of the, a the, of a void in my life. Uh, I'm sure I've never I've never been mindfulness, and I I think I still struggle to grasp the concepts. So I'm really looking forward to our guest.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I you, before we bring the guest on, Ken. One other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, you've sort of beefed the lay, the lineup up at AHR the AHR Expo. There's going to be in Atlanta. Uh, talk a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, what you've got lined up and how people can participate.
1: Okay, great. So we've got Lawrence in one of our sessions. Uh, basically, we're um, I flounder over and, and take a read at that. This is the part where Ken Russell's papers, but I don't have any papers. So <laughs> I'll, have to, uh, I'll have to digitally grab my words here. I hope they come up. So, so I think you're being digitally mindful here, Ken. You're doing a great example of, uh,
0: you know, how being mindful and technology come in. Because me, how they work hand in hand. Because for me, I would just, uh, I just gloss over it. I wouldn't deal with the digital part of it at all. So I'm, I'm impressed.
1: <laughs> okay. Anyway, so what, what we've got is this session called Smart Environments for Humans. And it says Ken and Lawrence are going to discuss to succeed at transforma- transformation, Instead of making humans more technical, we need to make technology more human. So welcome to Digital Mindfulness, unlocking the value and opportunities of time well-spent digital experiences. Current smart environments operate on a machine level and do not understand people. The new paradigm, smart environments can operate on a human level. New technologies, innovation, AI, emotive computing advances in scientific discipline. Disciplines, new science, psychology, will all be dem- will demonstrate this to be possible. As you can see, I'm fumbling with the words, so I'm, I'm I'm leaning heavily on Lawrence to to make sense of all of that.
0: Well, I tell you what. Speaking of Lawrence, Lawrence is our guest this week. Uh, it looks like we got him teed up and ready to go. So, Ken, how about introducing our guest this week?
1: Great. Okay. Okay, first uh I first met Lawrence and uh he invited me to do an inventory an inventory, an interview on his uh, uh his podcast and uh he told me it was all about mindfulness, and I had to admit I was totally mindless. So I did an interview and answered his questions, but of course not really answering his questions from the way he was asking, because I had no idea what it was he was doing. Uh, the good news is he lost that interview, and uh, it, uh, we actually did a retake uh, about a year later, and by then I had a little bit of an idea of what he was doing. Uh, Again, uh, when I went to Helsinki, Lawrence was there speaking to the crowd, so I actually got to meet him in person, and I was totally impressed, and I want to introduce him to the Control Trends uh, community, as well as the Automated Buildings community. Uh, So without further
2: ado, here is Lawrence
0: Hey,
1: Hey, Lawrence,
2: welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me both, I really appreciate it oh man I have
0: become a big fan of a big podcast listeners I've recently discovered through Ken your podcast digital mindfulness and I got to tell you it it, it is fantastic I encourage our community this is this is a voice you want to have in your ear as we sort of navigate these waters of digital mindfulness and discover opportunities So, Lawrence, I'll start with uh, how did you come up with digital mindfulness and the podcast
2: and the website what got you into that um so um it's kind of a long story, but i'll give you the truncated version so um <clears throat> my i really so my career is um I'm a data scientist and also a political scientist, and my my whole job really has been to encourage people to spend more time online and also optimize the time that they would spend online um, but I think just in conversation with a few of my colleagues, we started to really think about the question of. You know what? Where is the literature of basically people spending too much time? And this was just, this was when mobile had just started to take off. Um, So this was really about um 2011. We started to think about this, and so being an academic myself, um, I tried to find some literature on this. I tried to find out, you know, who are the voices um, that are talking meaningfully about um, if there are any dangers of spending too much time online, and that really was the start of it all. It was a gripe that I had. Um, But then, so I found a few books, found Sherry Turkle's um, Alone Together, found Nicholas Carr's Atlantic article, you know, which is The Shallows Now, um, and a few other books. But I thought that these books were great at setting up the problem that people are spending way more time with Google. We're outsourcing um, our our memories. um, we're, We're outsourcing um, I don't know, our friendships, we don't even remember phone numbers anymore. Except I understand all of those problems, but I wanted solutions. Um, and so, again, I just started to do some more digging around this. And what I found was that people had solutions to these problems, but they were talking in different silos. So the UX people had really interesting results, but they were only talking to their communities. Um, The technology people, they had, you know, the engineers, they had their own solutions to this. The information overload community, they had their own solutions, and they had their own lexicon as well. And so, um, the whole my webs, the website, basically, digital mindfulness was designed to join up all of those discussions. Initially about spending too much time online, but now it's evolved to how can we spend that time in digital environments? Well, what does that mean? And what I'm finding now in the kind of, I'm in my fourth year of having done this, is that um, what, what, what I'm asking for is not, um, it's not just a nice to have, and it's not just a simple, um, um, it's not just a soft thing, it's actually an economic imperative. And you're finding that now f- from moves by shareholders, from activist sites, from politicians, um, but from the big technology companies themselves, that they would call them digital well-being. But you're finding now that, for example, um, companies now have to really factor in what is that time well-spent element to the time that people are going to be spending with my digital artefacts, whether that be an advert or, in this case, stepping into a digitised building. How are people going to spend time well? Because then you go from then having a um, a simple customer. That would just be a one-time transaction to having um, a relationship, to having a partner, and that person will come back again and again and again. So, very cool. that's How I got to today. Well, I, I got, that's the quick.
1: A- that's the quick answer. You can imagine. <laughs> if you, you, you got on. the other one. The unabridged. <laughs> well, well, I, I, I
0: want to ask uh, because I've I've been very interested in philosophy, and, and Zen is one of the, the philosophies I'm a very interested one. So, when you say mindfulness, that's a you know a Zen or digital you know a, a Zen term. And, you know, and for our community who might not know, um, and and I think everybody knows throughout the beginning of time, having more stuff and, and before the digital revolution, it could be more things didn't necessarily lead to happiness. So, you know, the whole mindfulness thing is about being present in the moment and being mindful and sort of memorizing the distractions, if you will. So, uh, and, and I can see where this would maybe could apply to the digital world equally, if maybe even not more, Lawrence, because we, we got so much pulling us digitally, but,
2: but the mindfulness part of it, did that come from that philosophy? It's a really good question. And it's something where um, I think perhaps from a, um, from a lexicon and branding perspective, people sometimes get a bit confused. But the term mindfulness, what it actually refers to is um, people – um focusing on the task mm. that it is that they're doing, or focusing on the present moment um, without judgment. Yes. and and when I st- and you know I'm very much a proponent um, of mindfulness practice and mindfulness meditation, but once I started to take that explanation, and again, a very non-secular explanation, but then apply it to our digital world, I thought, what would my digital present moment look like, and that was in two thousand and eleven and it would have been incredibly noisy. So my phone would have been going, I would have had um, lots of browser windows open, my email notifications would have been um, interrupting me. And I thought that was a really good starting point to start to think more meaningfully about humanizing um, digital interactions or creating these time-off-spent experiences.
0: Oh, very very, very well said. And I think it was episode three with uh, Alex, I'll probably not pronounce his name right, but it was, it was kind of fascinating because you guys were talking about the sort of technology boom. And one of the things he pointed out was that, uh, well, we've always been dealing with technology since the beginning of time. And, and a sort of a reassuring note that he had was, well, well you know, we evolved to it, right? Uh, that, you know, we, we tend to evolve to have the technology, but it seems like we're in a period of disruption, at least digitally. I look at my kids and I look at other people. I mean, my wife cannot do anything unless she's got the phone in front of her, or, you know, and this whole social networking and all, so, um, and, and, you know, and I think one of your other guests was talking about, you know, for our community, to give you an example, uh, you know, there's a big, big thing now to designing mm-hmm. attention, uh, attention managing devices, right? So, so I think this is, you know, again, sort of calling out where the opportunities might be for our community, but speak to both those if you would.
2: It's um it's a really interesting point, and um I do remember that conversation that was years ago. But that was your third Alex, episode,
0: dude. <laughs> that was
2: right. That was years ago. But talking with Alex, um, um, about um, and he believes that you know um that basically people co-evolve with with machines, and this is something that Jeff Jeff Bezos was talking about in two thousand seven, I believe, but that you know we create our machines, and then our machines create us. It's that nice. constant co-evolution, um, but what with i think um it's a really interesting point, um but I think it's it takes away a lot of agency that we have, and it really leaves us um a slave to um to bad design to bad experiences mm-hmm. um that you know um I remember facebook um and this was a gosh, this was years ago, and they really have turned a corner, just a quick caveat they've really doing excellent work in this space now in terms of time well spent but I do remember lots of press releases basically come in that um, the agents that basically people should regulate their own behaviour on Facebook and people should regulate their own time that they're spending there that actually Facebook's just a tool and nothing more when um, of course um, that couldn't be further from the truth and so, um, and so what we're actually finding now is that um, because the technology landscape is changing. And actually this harkens back to a paper in 1995, 95 from um, Mark Weiser, the late Mark Weiser. And um, he wrote um, a really influential paper, happy to send it and share it with you, it's fantastic. And one of the things that he wrote, basically this was the start of thinking of um, um, ambient computing. And he was part of um, the Xerox Research Park community. And basically, what he said was that um, technology should impact attention the least amount possible. That actually, technology should be in the background and support um, human flourishing, human development, whatever that may mean in a given environment. So, um, again, you know, if we talk, if we speak about buildings, um, there are so many elements of human flourishing that technology definitely can support, but at the moment, it doesn't because it's not um it's not sensitive to um to what people want to do rather people have to as ken mentioned at the beginning people have to wrap themselves around the needs of the technology so if your phone goes you have to answer it and it's very difficult to know whether um it's spam you're receiving or something very important Mm. Um, it's difficult again as ken mentioned with like say the air conditioning to just walk in and and understand like oh is this um um is this do I do I require this? Is this is this good for me or not? Even for example, when you ring up um and have customer service, it's very common that um the the um the bot at the end of the line or the automated teller at the end of the line won't know how you feel. So it won't know if you feel frustrated, it won't know if you're anxious, and it can't respond accordingly. But the technology exists, for example, emotion analytics, um, these exist and they're um, perhaps whilst not um, completely sophisticated just yet, um, I think we're starting to think more creatively about how we can, I guess, add value to the digital experiences that we have, and that means um, it's almost like um, again, customer first. You know, it's people first um, design or thinking, and um, and it's creating this incredible ecosystem of um, thought, but also startups.
0: Nice. Nice. Ken Sinclair, um, you know, coming from the building automation side, working with Johnson controls and, and sort of watching the trend from the building perspective, the control side, what's the gap here and how do we close it?
1: I think it's a, it's a pretty big gap. Uh, and certainly, uh, I was pleased when I found uh, the teachings of uh, Dr. Lawrence. Uh, it's, uh, It's very important, I think, that our industry tap into this. Our last issue, the uh, building whisper, uh, I started to define that, that these are the people who have empathy for what's going on in the building and they basically uh, uh, can bring out the humanistic uh, relationship. And I think that's something we have to work on. Uh, The common theme is, of course, is that we have to keep all of this technology in the back it was kind of interesting. Again, as usual, when I start writing an article, I have no idea what it's about until I finish reading it at the end. And uh, what happened here is uh, even when the people started reading it, they put more emphasis on some pieces than I did. And the voice leapt out. And one of the reasons the voice as an interface leapt out was because it uh, doesn't require a device. So this is a this this helps us, I, I think, with mindfulness in the fact that any time we touch a physical device or look at a physical screen, we our attention is controlled. So, any kind of uh, interaction that we can happen that does not uh, does not command our attention, and so voice is a typical thing that we're used to talking to people as we walk through our life. Uh, asking them to help us open the door, close the door, uh, you know, what, whatever we, we do. We're used to that interface. So where I see this kind of going, uh, we have some really good uh, input from uh, Unified Box out of Singapore. They're doing a lot of work in this area, and they're starting to put a lot of voice commands to actually do physical things, open the blind, close the window, those those kinds of things. But, but what's happening is what I think Lawrence is talking about is needs to also transform over into the machines. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking at this time that the uh, next month's issue is going to be mindful machines. And I think that's where we're evolving. So, uh, but I'm still trying to catch up on what Lawrence is really saying. Every time he says something, it's, it's another idea for me.
0: Well, it is, and, and we're gonna I want to eventually cycle around to the business case for this, because at the end of the day, it's the money that drives everything. But you know, Lawrence, and again on another one of your podcasts I listened to, there was a content called First in Mind. And I guess uh, my question would be, what's the difference between first in mind and mindfulness?
2: Um, yes, it is um, it's really interesting with, with regards to first in mind. Um so first in mind, what it really refers to, and there are lots of people that are working on the um, on the issue of attention. Particularly in the workplace and in um, the education place, so university, schools, etc. But it really relates to where our information, so where our attention um, is being directed at any one time. Um, and then, with regards to um, first in mind, is then what influences or what um, different inputs might um, might shape that in, that um, um, that attention, so that something else then comes first in mind. It's a really interesting point because um, essentially we are in an attention economy. Um, Our attention is monetized. And and whenever we do enter into a digitized environment, um, that is essentially um, the main main thing that's being monetized. With regards to mindfulness now, um, and again, the, the kind of the aspects where I'm working from, I'm really interested in okay that's fine we've got all of these machines that don't understand me all they understand are um, um, for example just pumping out notifications or sounds or noises they're interested in um, in finishing up that if this then that loop right so Mm -hmm. kind of finishing off that loop but then what if technology could be designed better what if our advertising, what if our buildings, what if our social, what if our social networking experiences, or even um, um, our search experiences, what if they could be designed so that they were available and they delivered kind of what I wanted when I wanted them, or what I needed and when I needed them. So I think the example of um, customer service is really apt. Um, what if when I was calling to complain about something? That, um, that a machine could understand not only how I felt, but could understand how to diffuse me, how, mm. how to diffuse that negative um, experience. And so, it's really interesting, cameras talking about voice because what we're seeing now is we're moving from simple commands, which actually, when you're in an environment with people yelling at an Alexa, is um, it's not great most of the time. You know, you have to shout above the noise so it can hear you. So everyone just stops and then has to go back. Um, but um, what you're finding now, um, partic- I just saw the Microsoft um, product roadmap. It's really fascinating. And you're moving now towards conversational AI, basically. So co- so um, AI is able to understand um, different brands, the voice of the brand, so how it should be talking to its target customer. And it's able to understand the emotions behind the person speaking to it. And so you're going to be able then to have conversations that don't necessarily take away from the ambience in a room or in an environment Um, and that's just one example but um, I think this is where we're going kind of almost bringing together um, that human attention with that mindfulness those mindfulness properties understanding where people are and then wrapping machines around that rather than the other way around
1: that's that's a great response, uh, and actually, which uh, Kenny Kenny Smyers is here because, of course, he in his last podcast he he discovered a uh, uh, voice and was so excited about where that potentially could lead us. Uh, another just add- on to what you added there was uh, we now have the technology to create voice prints. Uh, mm-hmm. last time my last time my uh, credit card got uh, compromised, I was chatting with them, and when I finished, they asked if they could take a voice print. and they I said, "What's that all about?" And he what you just all we want to do is we've recorded your voice and we have a file. <clears throat> and we, when you call back next time, we'll compare your voice to that file. It is not uh, it is not the only way that they will validate me, but it at least indicates a trend of who I am. Uh, certainly, male, female, uh, you know those kinds of things. So yes, uh, this voice is is an interesting adjunct, and I think it'll get us quicker to uh, mindful relationships than than some of our touch screens, phones, things we have to physically. Uh, Act. Um, the other one that, that came out of uh, out of uh, Helsinki when you and I were both there was uh, the the advantages of a deviceless uh, environment. Uh, I thought that was – I took that away from Helsinki and it built on it.
0: Well, you know, Ken, when you came back with the voice thing, I immediately went out and got some Alexas. Uh, Lawrence, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and it took them all of uh, two nanoseconds to pick up on it. And uh, so they they interact with Alexa every day. Now, they're sort of learning some bad manners because they don't say please and thank you. So that would be the one advice I give uh, to the voice recognition. If they're small children, they have to say please and thank you. Or Alexa says you have to say please. But, uh, (laughs) but, 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 But at the rate they do. And then let's get back to this whole evolution thing. Because, you know, there's really not much of a need for my children, especially with Alexa, to need to know how to spell, how to write, how to add. Uh, how to do research because they can just ask. So is there a danger uh, that, 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 you know, the next generations are not going to have, I mean, right. Uh, you know, the basic knowledge is that we do and is, is that a potential bad thing or is it a good thing? Or maybe it's not good or bad. It's not the right
2: question. It, it's, um, it's a really interest it's a really interesting point. I think, um, I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge question. First of all, um, that we might, mo- you know, I think as, between the three of us, we might scratch the surface, but, um, yeah. So it's very much a kind of fireside and glass of wine chat but so but it's i think what it kind of alludes to a larger question of what skills um or jobs might machines displace from humans and you know again is that a bad or a good thing or what are we going to need to do um to get rid of some of the negative um impacts of that one of the really fantastic things that i'm seeing Um, whenever I talk to enterprises and whenever I talk to thought leaders about this, um, we have had the discussions about um, universal basic credit, or universal basic income. Um, We have had the discussions that actually, for all of our discussions about AI and ML, that actually those technologies are not sophisticated enough yet um, to displace human beings. Or we've even had like the third type where you have authors like... um, um, the MIT professors Brynjolfsson and McAfee they say that actually what you need are you know don't discount the jobs where human, where machines can't compete with human beings things like things that require a lot of empathy like caring and nursing etc um, i think from the discussions i've been having i think the discussion has moved on a bit more and it is fascinating So I think that there's going to be, I think the the market now for having for two things, having um, people interact properly with these machines is going to be enormous. So people that can basically be the filter between the machines and people um, is going to be great indeed. So there probably won't, come oh, again, uh, you know, we're probably not at the stage yet where a bot can take over completely the role of, say, customer service. There's always going to have to be a person involved in that. But knowing that point at which a person has to be involved, again, um, having the machine interact properly with the customer and also with the human agent, um, this is a really, really important job. And we're seeing this across the entire technology stack, across the em- across the enterprise. People i'm finding that leaders are less interested in getting rid of the workforce as they are in having the workforce properly interact with the tools so that they can get the best out of both worlds basically and i think that that's really fascinating so the skills that we're going to need certainly in terms of empathy courtesy literacy etc you're absolutely right those are core skills that we definitely can't lose digital literacy um, is going to be a critical skill. So your children, for example, are going to have to know that um, whatever they write and share online stays forever. Yeah. So they're going to have to comport themselves accordingly, right? Um, which is very different to when us, when we were growing up. You know, we could say things, we could do things, and it would certainly Forgotten. wouldn't be kept yeah. forever, right? Yeah. Um, okay.
1: The, the other thing I just want to add, right, at this point though, is you're defining a whole new. Uh, breed of person, and for lack of a better description, I want to call them a bot whisperer. And uh, exactly. so we basically all have to need, we all need to turn into bot whisperers <laughs> because we need to nice. do that interface in between. We—it's uh, So we're not talking to a horse, we're talking to a bot. And we're talking to people. And somehow we have to kind of create a meaningful relationship between those two things. And I think that's why we're having this discussion on control trends is all these folks that are watching it that have uh, been deep in technology uh, like I have. We need to discover you because we need to understand that we have to change our thoughts and we have to be more empathetic. We need to be mindful uh, and practice mindfulness.
0: Well, and and I think that the fact of the matter is the genie's out of the bottle. The technology's not going to go away. So I'm going to ask my control trends community and Lawrence, you and Ken, to indulge me for a minute. I want to wax philosophical here for a minute, right? Because, you know, if you look at what's going on with technology, one definition of technology is you create a machine or whatever that can do the task that took 10 or 15 people to do now a machine and one person can do it. So I think the other trend that I'm seeing, and again, I'm, I'm getting out there here. Okay. So Is it for the first time in history we've got more supply, and have the ability to create more supply of everything with technology than we ever had? So, the one thing that might be uh, uh, in jeopardy is jobs might be reduced. So, and and I think, but but with the supply and everything else, I think we're going to get to the point where there's no reason for anybody on the planet to be hungry, thirsty, or anything else. Right? I mean, I think the, the 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 way we do economics right now is probably standing in the way, but. Here's the question from a philosophical standpoint. I had a teacher once tell me, if you really want to piss somebody off, solve all their problems for them. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, people define themselves by their problems. Well, I think people also, I mean, I think one of the basic human needs is the struggle for significance, right? And people have significance by having challenging jobs. So if this technology, which I have no doubt is going to happen, is going to continue to evolve in such a way that everything gets easier and easier and easier to the point that you could probably not, have anything consequential you need to be willing to do other than to be nice to people. I'm wondering about the psychological effect it's going to have
2: down the line. I think that's it. I I 100% agree with you. And there are a few podcasts I've got on my show where we do talk about this very thing. Um, And I think the idea from this is that um, what you're finding now is that there's a growing discussion in the design community specifically about designing in friction. So the whole technology the way we design our digital experiences is to remove as much friction as possible, so that our journeys are seamless, right? So you kind of glide through Amazon, and but what you're finding is that that rhetoric is useful only insofar as we're going, only insofar as we have interactions with, sorry, um, um, interactions, transactions with things. So if I'm shopping for something, or if I'm say um, voting online I don't want any friction I just want to be able to make my choice and then kind of go out and that's fine but if I'm interacting with people and we use the example of Airbnb um, having more friction or more contact with other people is perhaps more conducive to empathy human relationships communication as well because my grammar has to be good and you know and congeniality you know all of these again what we might say Scott's soft skills but are critical for a functioning a well-functioning society the Airbnb example is really useful because they were focused initially on having the whole experience be as seamless as possible for the guest and for the host but what they found was that um, um, by measures of time well spent from both the guest and the host when there was greater friction so when the host and the guests were kind of Move to ask more questions or to interact with each other more on the journey, then the relationship was strengthened. And both parties ended up having a much better experience. So the trust factor was increased. All of these things which lead to a strengthening of the platform as a whole.
1: Very well said. I think there's another concern. This whole uh, this digital idea that the robots and bots will take over from us is, is so far from the truth. It's the the uh, the arena that is developing is the bridge between, and that's what we all have to get involved in, and and that's that's why we're having these kind of discussions because. This is not a bridge technologists have been in, but we need to be in, because we, we, we know how these technologies work. We know how we can make them invisible. We don't really understand people, but nobody really does, but there's some people that'll help us know, know more. And again, let's do it like we do everything jump off the cliff and figure out how to fly before we hit bottom. Well,
0: well you know, but Ken, and again, we're having, this is a great conversation. I, I love these kinds of conversations, but I think we got to get to the, so now you, you, you run CB Richard Dallas or you run one of these big real estate firms. And now, um, or you're a consulting engineer, because Lawrence keeps bringing up the term design. I mean, what's, what's the business case? I mean, I've got a couple of reasons to argue business case, but Ken, I'd like to hear from you and Lawrence, I'd like to hear from you. What's the business case. I own some buildings, why would I invest in this? Or why would I challenge my consulting engineer or my systems integrator to, and, and how would that look? Go
1: ahead. Yeah.
2: Ken okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. just handed the ball
1: to you, Lawrence. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to know, Lawrence. I've got my own ideas, but I want to hear yours first. Okay. Sure, better.
2: sure. Um, so, so, I think building out the business case for this this is something I've really been focused on for like the past, I think, this calendar year. I've really been focused on it because you're absolutely right, Eric. It's it's nice being able to philosophize about all of this, but actually you need to bring it down to the real world and say, how is this really going to help business? How is this going to incentivize um, business so that we can, again, have people? Because it can't just be that all of these um, negative attention hijacking experiences are the only things that create economic value, can't be. So um, one of the things that you're actually finding um, in terms of um, in terms of the business case for this, and I'm gonna use the, the case of Google, Google Play, because they're a huge company and, and they support lots of small businesses, so this might actually help you. Um, what they were finding is that um, you might think that, for example, Google's a data company, so, and they're an online advertising company, so by capturing people's attention in any way possible, that this would be the um, the reason for being for Google. And so, to have all of the different products, etc., do this would be the most optimal way of increasing revenue. What you're actually finding, though, is that when people people realise now when their when their attention is being hijacked, and people realise um, more, they realise much more acutely when they have a negative experience, they know when their time is not well spent, when they're just scrolling through Facebook or scrolling through Instagram. Um, With the building, with um, buildings, digitized buildings, people realize when they don't have a good experience there, a good digitized experience. And so what you're finding is that when people have negative experiences, they leave that app. So the app usage decreases sharply over time if they have a negative experience. Or in terms of an um, ad experience, people will skip ads or leave that platform. So, um, so basically, if people have a negative experience, then you lose subscribers, you lose customers, you lose users. It's just it's it's the worst experience possible. So, then by incentivizing, um, by incentivizing designers or incentivizing engineers to really understand what is a time well spent experience for your consumer at your, um, in your particular industry, and the ways that people are doing this are by um, data. So by using, um, for example, um, in this case of Google, the app usage data, um, social media data, the way people are responding and behaving and talking about their different experiences, you can actually, you can actively create um, these time well spent experiences so that people, when they have a meaningful, humanized experience within an app they will use the application more people will be less likely to migrate to iOS where the environment is much more closed and so it's more you know the the time it takes to develop these experiences on iOS is longer because it's got to go through a longer approval process and then people will more will stay with Google within their ecosystem so it was a really interesting discussion that i've been having with the teams there because it's almost like this virtuous loop that if we, can incent, if we incentivize designers and, I don't know, um, um, ad creators more to really fervently understand users, understand what time well spent is, then it creates a better ecosystem. We make more money. Developers make more money. Users have a better experience. And, you're, <laughs> and you have significance
0: yeah. in your life again.
1: I'm glad, I'm glad I tossed it over to you to start with because that's that's a great introduction and actually what my question to you was going to be is in our industry the, the adage is is if you can't measure it you can't manage it and I was trying to think in my mind as we were talking how do we quantify qualify mindfulness and in your discussion there you basically gave the answer is the success of our bots and in our devices and the, and the rating of friction created or not created will be the rating of our success of the implementation of mindfulness. Does that sort of make sense?
2: It, it absolutely does. And um, I think what's interesting now, we're at a point in this very moment, much more so than when, um, when we all started talking about this years ago, that we're able to just gather much more, uh, many more data points um, about people so that we can kind of get to that s- almost that single point of truth where we do understand um, how people are um, from an attentional perspective, from a cognitive load perspective, from an emotion perspective, all of these different data points so that we can deliver these time well spent experiences um, more regularly.
0: You got to figure business owners is competitive like everything else, right? I mean, you know, they got competition. I think as people work more from home, uh, you're going to have to create an experience. The time well spent, which I love that. I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to nail that down to call it a great experience. Okay, and I'm going to go as far out on the limb as to say that uh, I'm wondering culturally, both given the millennials and just you know the fact. I, I think maybe we put it like a Maslow's hierarchy thing, right? And for our listeners who may or may not know this, some you know you learned in grand, you know in high school or whatever that you know you basically start with the basic human needs. You know, people got to eat. They got to you know. You know, be protected. And once they get that, then they can go to the next thing on the hierarchy, which maybe is learning. But and then I think the highest one we've gotten so far, at least that I'm aware of, is self actualization, which I'm improving myself. And I'm wondering whether we're in the spot where it's going to be the time well spent or the time well actualized is going to be the next level up on the, the hierarchy. And if so, if you're not delivering that experience to your tenants, they're not going to want to lease your space. Thoughts on that,
2: Carmen? I, I, abs- <clears throat> I absolutely think so. Or rather, I think that people will just naturally gravitate towards the places that they have better experiences in. You know, to yeah. those to those environments that are more intuitive to their needs, or that foster, for example, um, more pleasant um, accidental collisions with the people yeah. that they that they should be communicating with, or whatever. Um, I think you're right with the business case, it's just fascinating. So obviously there's the moral case that it's not that it's wrong to insert things like dark patterns or to hijack people's attention, etc. But also you're having it from a top-down perspective. So um, again, the big tech platforms are really starting to um, mandate, like Facebook, for example, where they prioritise connections between friends and family over those with publishers. Um, they're really starting to crack down now on publishers and say, you have to deliver experiences that people, um, the same types of experiences that people would have with their friends and family, because that's why people come to Facebook or that's why people come to Google to search for things that they need in their lives. And I really started to think about this with a few of my friends who are economists or a data scientists, etc. And what we did, what we came up with is that, and here's, I think, the real business case. I think the business case is attention so once people have that self-actualized experience um people again in the literature it's really likened to flow that flow state by chick sent me high and what flow is is that incredibly heightened state of attention where um, um where everything else falls away and you're only focused on that thing that you're trying to do so whether that is running Whether that's writing, whether that's coding, whatever that is. Um, And I think that once you have a person who's actually, imagine that, imagine having an actualized experience in Facebook, well, then that makes you a prime advertising candidate. Or if you're in a WeWork building and you're having these incredible time well spent experiences there, then you'd never leave WeWork. You're the perfect customer. And I think that's the difference between having a casual user and And a a, a relationship, having a relationship with that person or a casual customer or a partner saying, I use WeWork, I'm going to that building, or I use Facebook because it supports me in connecting meaningfully with the people I want to connect with. So I really think it's, and if you have those kinds of people there, having those experiences from an advertiser perspective um, or from um, a revenue generation perspective. These types of people, uh, this is the holy grail, essentially, of customer relations.
0: Well, well, well I, th- I think it is. And of course, with social media, and Ken, this gets to your point earlier, with social media, I mean, if they're having a bad experience, the world knows about it. I mean, instantaneously. So, you know, when it comes time to renew your lease, I mean, if, if you're a, a savvy leaser for your employers, you're paying attention to that feedback. And Ken, let's, let's talk about some of the variables that we can control. I mean, one of them, it goes back to even when you and I first got started in the business, which is got to have the temperature right to have a great experience. But, but Ken, in your experience, what are some other variables that you're seeing that, that our, our listeners can, uh, can can hone in on to, to create this effect?
1: Okay. Just before I go into that, I want to just also address the business case. One of the, the evolving business cases is the attraction of talent. And I think uh, you and I talked about that as uh, in, in our uh, discussion on digital mindfulness. But this is becoming very important is there's for the really good people. Uh, they want to come into an environment like this that has all of these uh, mindfulness. They don't want to have a lot of friction. They don't want, they want to be attracted to it. And uh, I think uh, we just had this post from we uh, WeWork uh, of our good friend, Lindsay uh, Baker, who is uh from Comfy and has gone on to WeWork and is uh, Head of Sustainability and Well-Being. Even the title uh, uh, suggests a whole new thing. And I think if you read through that, there's all these good words. And But if you understand, I think the reason why that was put there, the main reason and all the effort that WeWork is putting into that is to attract better talent, more talent. Uh, and that is probably a bigger business case than... Anything. So what's happening with us as an industry, we're moving into realms where we've never provided value before. And I think that's, that's complex for us because uh, we're technologists. We, you know, we install this stuff and make the temperature go up and down, and right. uh, that's what we do. But we've never, we've never kind of got into this human side of it. We've, we've seen the curves, and we know that that's the big number in the buildings. But we're getting closer to having a reaction on that.
0: Well, I think we are in, in large. One thing that's really encouraging in our industry, the real estate people came up with this met, met, metric, which is, the, they call it the $330, $300 rule, which basically they basically they're, they came up with it. For every square foot they build, they're spending rough stuff in it, and $300 for the employees that are in there. So affecting their productivity is, you know, the savvy real estate people are now sort of tuned into that, which is, I think, gets right into your time well spent. Uh, because that has got to have a profound effect on productivity. And, and I think for our, our community, the, the people listen to us, the systems integrators, the consulting engineers, and all, I, I think Lawrence and Ken are providing us with a vocabulary where you can have a differentiating conversation with your customer. Because if you are able to lay it out like this and, and state the business case in these terms and the time well spent, you're going to have a distinct advantage over your competitors. And, and I think, Ken, it comes back to some of the stuff that's coming into our industry, the, the, the building analytics, you know, the integration of lights and, and uh, the temperature. I mean, the term well-being, Lawrence, is coming into our building. Now, Some people are – we've got the first well building that has – everything's controlled. The, the air quality is perfect. All the snacks are healthy, things like that, which I think fall right into what you're talking about.
1: Well, the other thing I'd like to point out is we've got this great opportunity coming up in January uh, in Atlanta – when Lawrence is coming, and we've got a whole session that he's going to be available, you'll be able to come up and touch his magic ring, right? <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> and and become mindful. And uh, I, I think uh, it's it's an experience you want to be part of. Uh, I very much enjoyed his presentation in Helsinki. He's promised to uh, uh, to give us pretty much that. I promise that I will interrupt him several times to uh, to get discussions like we've just been having here because that's, I found them more intriguing. I found his, his presentations is amazing. You need to go through it to kind of get the sense of what he's about. But then as soon as you understand it, then you've got a bunch of questions and he best answers those questions just as he has on this podcast. Whoops. I guess it's video.
0: (laughs) Well, I am podcast. We do both. So, good stuff. So, Lawrence, if you're going to be in Atlanta, we, I'd like to extend an invitation to you. That Sunday night before we have something called the Control Trends Awards, which uh, all the major players in our industry would be there. It's a good time. We come together. We celebrate. We, we eat, drink. We be merry. And then Ken Sinclair usually puts somebody in the Hall of Fame. So, if you're available, we'd love to have you as our guest uh, at the Control Trends Awards.
2: Oh, thank you. I'd love
0: to come
1: i awesome, will awesome. if you've, if you've got nobody nobody better to sit with, you can sit with me and I'll try and introduce right, you to a few right. folks in the industry. you
0: sitting with me what are you talking about I'm the- <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay
0: so Lawrence it, it, this is uh, it's so great to talk to you because i I think that you know things start with theory they start with research, they start with theory, you come up with a premise and then and then you sort of course adjust but but I think, uh, I see a huge future in, in our industry, sort of understanding your concepts and in, in creating create, creating this
2: great experience. I I think there's so um, I'm I'm really really lucky. Like I I kind of started this um, a little while ago. And um, there have been people who've been thinking, you know I'm really standing on the shoulders of giants. There are people who've been thinking about this since the 80s, since we've had computers, um, um, certainly personal computers. But I think that. The, the scope of this, of its application is so huge. And, you know, I can, you know, I think this might be a little bit hyperbolic, but, um, but really, we're really thinking about changing um, design frameworks, changing um, business models as well. It's almost like a new level of um, value creation here. And the great thing is that it really integrates both pe- people and the tools that we create as well uh, it's,
0: just, it's such a timely conversation and, and i love looking out in the future now rumor has it that you spent some time in buenos aires <laughs> is
2: that true um, i did yeah I, I lived there i lived there for a little mm. while yeah
0: did you dance in the argentine tango
2: <laughs> no um, 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 my dancing abilities uh strictly english Well.
1: Oh, Listen, no,
0: my, 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 my mine are suspect at best, but I know she and I have the same haircut, those perfect heads, so I, I got to tell a quick story here. I was uh, dancing Argentine Tango in in, in Atlanta, and, uh, you know, it, it, Argentine Tango is kind of a, a very controversial dance because the man or the leader typically stands very, very straight, and the reason being because he has a uh, – they used to have a dagger in their back, right? And so uh, it would either lead and you know, the, the dancers would either lead, lead – Wind wound up with bloodshed or sex. There wasn't much in between, and it was actually outlawed for many years. But uh, So I studied uh, in Atlanta and, and was going to Buenos Aires for uh, uh, the International Argentine Tango Festival. And uh, the dance is full of nuance, and, and we were schooled religiously. You do this, you don't do this. And one of the things is you don't ask somebody to dance. You sort of look across the room at them. If they look at you and then blink twice, you know you can go ask them if they point three times you better start running because their boyfriends get ready to kill you so it's like all these rules so we we arrive in Buenos Aires we go to the first malanga which is the big dance right and uh, the place is packed right and uh, you can hardly move and uh, I kind of you know some of my courage and you know, I look over at this beautiful Argentinian woman and she gives me the right cue I wind up dancing with her and the dance floor was literally so crowded guys that I mean, we moved maybe four steps the whole time, but she was so present and was such a beautiful dance. It was just the most incredible experience. I mean, it was pure, pure art, pure magic, pure poetry. But I do my three dances with her, you know, because you do three dances at a time, go back and sit down. And after I can, my heart stops beating fast. I go over to the bar to get a beer and I said, I'm going to try this again. And so I'm looking out across the thing and I I see this girl and I sort of give her the eye and she looks at me kind of funny. And then uh, I kind of look away. I look at her again. She gives me the eye. Next thing I know, she's up walking towards me. And I'm not prepared for this, but I figure this is very bad news because everything's supposed to be very subtle. And she walked up and she says, excuse me, you're trying to ask me to dance. I said, yeah. She goes, I couldn't tell because the light was bouncing off your head and the reflection. I couldn't,
2: couldn't make out. <laughs> so I'm, I love Buenos Aires. Was it a good experience for you living there, Lawrence? oh my gosh um, life changing experience living there absolutely incredible place how, how many years were you down there? um It was just under a year but um but yeah, but the whole experience has shaped wow. everything I do now so yeah I'm, oh, very a yeah, fascinating place
0: well, you and I'll have to do a uh, another podcast and we 'll talk about uh yeah. you know, tango steaks in argentina
2: or something i i was <laughs> um sorry i just this might be a cue point, but I was just wondering how, what's the um um, automated buildings, industry like say in Latin America or the Spanish-speaking world. It's
1: fragmented, very fragmented. It's it's like the country. It's um, right. I I too have been to Buenos but uh, didn't dance and uh, just as a tourist. But it, it's an exciting, interesting place. But uh, we actually have ones and twosies, readers and stuff. Uh, from almost all of the South American uh, countries. Uh, they're starved for information, starved for products, uh, starved for concepts. That being said, uh, there's, there's uh, San, uh, Sao Paulo is starting to uh, generate a bit of a, okay. a tech bunch and, uh, um, haven't seen too much from buenos uh it doesn't seem to be too much of a technology thing but it's it's just early days for them and, and it's at the, from from our our look at the industry it's it's fairly fragmented
0: yeah Europe's different though Europe and Asia are completely different uh a company one of the major players in our industry you now, a newer player actually is a company called IO and they have a global conference every year in like madrid paris or whatever and uh and it's fascinating, Ken. I mean, you you ought to come to that. Both you guys ought to come to that. I think they're doing in Italy next year. So, uh, but what, what's amazed me about that is how the integrators from around the world, with the exception of Latin America. Although Mexico is playing pretty hot and heavy now. Yep,
1: yeah, Mexico's um, strong.
0: Yeah, but, but how much we have in common and the nuances from the individual countries. So it's, it's yeah. Really
1: There's actually an AHR show in in Mexico. Uh, don't have the date right off the top of my head, but it's every year they have. Uh, they, they run a, a Mexico show as well as a yeah. North American show.
0: Okay, so uh, I got another question for you guys. So let's imagine it's um, five years from now. We're, we're, we're doing our fifth pa- podcast together. Ken, uh, everything has gone in the automated buildings worlds the way you predicted and expected. So walk our audience through how uh, an, a, a building is going to look five years from now in terms of controls and interfaces. And I'll ask you the same question in a minute, Lawrence. But given that Ken's the old goat,
1: built a chiller. Yeah. God, I'm not even sure I'm going to be here in five years. <laughs> but anyway, no, I don't know. I think better uh, be. I think the patterns the patterns have been set for sure. Actually, you, you mentioned when you introduced me, the Johnson Controls. When I left Johnson, it was uh, was. Almost, almost pneumatic times T six thousands and JC 80s So it was uh, pretty, pretty crude technologies back in those days. Uh, the future, it's it's definitely going to move towards the devices not being obvious, uh, and what I think that's why we're having this discussion is we've got to create a relationship with machines that is invisible and they have to be mindful they have to they have to react to us and this is going to develop faster than any of us can imagine because of the the bot technology because we've crossed the floor and we're no longer in isolation as we all have been all of our lives we've been a, a specialized industry we are no longer a specialized industry we're now part of the IoT industry and whatever they do we're going to be part of it And so, therefore, we have to understand why Lawrence is working for Google and why Google is interested in working with Lawrence. Those kinds of things we need to understand. We need to start putting this stuff into our products. Voice is not going to be the only interface. Video analytics, we we didn't touch on that. We could do another session completely on that. The information that we can extract from video with AI, that's going to roll out. Um, and in the mechanical room, there will be pneumatic actuators still moving the dampers and, uh, and electric switches turning stuff on and off. Uh, probably that part is not going to change that much. So for all the people in the industry that think they're going to be replaced uh, by a robot that's going to go out and do that stuff, uh, think again. You're still going to have to make it work. And the only other thing is because you're part of the building of motion when it doesn't work, the building are going to have an emotional hissy fit, and they're going to come and find you and drag you out there to fix this stuff. So, uh,
0: Nice. So, Lawrence, I, I, I'll rephrase the question a little bit for you. Let's imagine it's five years from now, and and just describe your ideal working space. You're you're, you're working in a space, and this these are your requirements. Um.
2: Wow. So, I think um, I think in the next five years, um, in my working space. In the background, I'll be listening to news, and that news will be of um, a major company that's going through a lawsuit um, on one one element of their digital artifacts that has negatively impacted people's time or their attention, and that was done knowingly so. So one of the things I talk about a lot is um, I think there's going to be a need for what we, you know, in the same way that companies pivoted towards, or rather included, corporate social responsibility they realize their social footprint in the late 90s with you know no logo and globalization etc I think that now people are being aware of the attentional and health well-being um, time impacts of our technologies and how these technologies they don't exist in a vacuum like we meaningfully create these things um, I think that companies are going to be bought. I think you're going to have digital responsibility officers, corporate digital responsibility offices. They're going to be responsible for the quality of the artifacts that companies produce. And that's going to incorporate a skill set like law, psychology, ethics. It's going to incorporate all of that. They're going to have to know that. So that's what I'll be listening to in the background. Um, in terms of buildings, um, I think the buildings will be virtual as well as physical. So um, I, think, um, I do think virtual reality is going to play a really yeah. – big part um in that in my building experience um, and particularly I think buildings are going to enable me to be closer to people um, and the people I need to be closer to with regards to my job or my personality type at a given point, point of time that's something I'm really looking forward to as well because at the moment you know certainly big metropolitan cities there are millions of people there urbanization is increasing the pace, but every you know, there are lots of people that are genuinely lonely. And I think buildings have a real opportunity to be differentiators in bringing the right people together. So what if we could be, you know, what if I don't know, my phone or my device, whatever it is I'm working could direct me to the right person that would help me to have that moment, that light bulb moment. that, that That's something I'm thinking that that would be um, particularly useful. But um, but, all, but a so whole, yeah, so a that's whole,
0: a, a whole new thing to our synergy and 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 that I mean maybe just based on the data things, it's like uh, well aren't you working on this problem? Here, are three people we can direct you to that would have complementary skill exactly sets. Boy, talk about some productivity exactly. and, 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 and not only brilliant. that,
2: these people are you know in terms of personality type, they yeah. most you know they most likely work well with you. Yes. Oh, that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's, well, i mentioned-
1: Oh, sorry. This is, this is great though. The, the the big point you made that I completely missed is the virtual reality building. I love that. Uh, and it's not so hard for us to imagine it as we're uh, sitting here in Atlanta, London, and uh, the West coast of Canada. Uh, we're talking and we've actually have created a virtual building on our screen here. And we're starting to see the, the start of that. We're also with, of course, uh, we work and, uh, my daughter works for Shopify. And, uh, so she, her whole day is spent on zoom and some, she has sometimes hundreds of windows open with a, a meeting kind of thing. So it's all kind of coming together, uh, a lot quicker. Uh, that's an excellent point that I completely forgot. And thank you for reminding me.
0: Well, I have one of my, I, you know, Ken Sinclair's always said, you need to take a millennial to lunch. I have a millennial buddy and I, I got, two really sources I got one guy who's the first guy I ever worked for so he's in his 70s now and he's a voracious reader and I got my young friend Anthony so whatever they're reading I call him once a month and I go read it or whatever they're watching so I get a, a perspective but Anthony is really big into virtual reality and his belief He says the virtual reality people believe that it is literally gonna be with the virtual reality you're gonna put the glasses on that's gonna be the platform you never have to leave you'll do everything from your virtual reality glasses, which seems a bit extreme, but uh, but he says people are definitely talking about that and that they want to build that. That's what they want to build. So, so who knows?
1: Actually, that's interesting. Uh, I just moved my virtual reality mask from the side of my chair up to my desk, which has all of my electronic uh, uh, things from the last 10, 15 years that uh, didn't work. It starts with an Atari, uh, so you can kind of understand how how, how much my electronic museum is you know if I can lift my laptop high enough so you can actually see it here behind me on my desk. There you go. But anyway, so all those devices back there are palm little palm things and all, all those technologies that didn't work out. Yeah, the, the techno, I, so technical so stuff for that is virtual yeah. reality mask up. So uh, I'm thinking the problem is is it's it's we. We do not like devices. We don't like headphones. Right. We don't like we don't like anything that touches us. Uh, we want to be free.
0: I've already signed uh, up for the chip they put in your brain. That's how I'm going to interface with everything. Yeah. That. It'll make me a lot smarter. Lawrence, how did tell, tell 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 our community a little bit about your services that you provide and how people would engage you if they were interested?
2: So, um, so they've really they've really evolved over time as well. And um, so, Eric, just to your very to your last point, I just I think um, the main the last thing I wanted to say is that. I think it's really important to ask, like, actually, are we going to be happier um, in in this, you know, in these new digitized environments? So you're right. There's going to be so much more stuff. Um, Ken, you were saying, there's going to be, you know, we don't naturally want more devices. We don't want to buy more iPhones, but there's going to be more stuff. But I think really, are we going to be happier? Are we going to be spending our time well with each other? Are we going to be, um, not, are we not going to, it's not that are we going to produce more, we're we going to be more productive, but are we going to be like, is our productivity going to be better? You know, we're we going to be able to connect with the right people, et cetera. And I think this is something right now we're uniquely able, we're at a really good point to be able to solve these questions. And, um, and I think that's not probably not what a lot of companies are really thinking about now. I mean, okay, I think that, we, yeah.
0: I think that's brilliant, Lawrence. And if we don't build in happiness is uh, like, you know, I know I do a lot of sales and one of the questions I always ask is what has to happen for you to make a decision and feel really good about it? What has to happen for us to design this so that we're happier? If We don't put the happiness in the equation. It will get swept under the rug.
1: Yeah, okay. My thought on this is that I, this is a philosophy of, of mine for the, the creation of Sinclair Energy Services, the creation of automated buildings. Basically, you want to live where you want to play. So you go where you want to play. Then you create your life backwards from awesome. where you're happy, your happy place. So you're basically everywhere your happy place is. That's where I want to be. When I get off this call, I'm going for a bike ride at two o'clock. Uh, <clears throat> this call this call, canceled my kayaking trip to an outer island because we didn't have enough time. So there you are. You're cutting into my happiness, but you guys you guys, you guys make me happy too. But that is the situation, I think, is that instant gratification that once we leave the virtual office, we are where we want to be doing what it is we want to do. And I think that's how we're going to be happier. Uh, but okay. I think we also find the challenge and the intrigue of being able to globally connect with people and have bigger ideas than we've ever had before.
0: And then the first control vendor that comes out with a happy control, remember that Lawrence has that name trademark. So happy mm-hmm. control, you're gonna have to talk to him before you use it. But, but Lawrence, <laughs> again, tell, us, tell us how our community gets hold of you. I would encourage you to check oh, out his website and his podcast.
2: Oh, thanks very much, Eric. Um, so get in touch with me um, by email. Um, it's hello at digitalmindfulness.net. Um, if you come to digitalmindfulness.net, the website, um, there's there's loads and loads of resources and ways that we can connect. So there are events that we hold on this very topic, how we can create time well spent digital experiences. Um, but then also in terms of the other ways that I work with people, um, I also speak to um, companies as well and who you know the people that basically create digitized or digital artifacts. How can we create these for time well spent? So really looking forward to hearing from you if you want to connect with me. Fantastic. Well, listen, Lawrence. hope we
0: can get you back on the show again. That's it, folks. Another week on Control Talk. Now, your smart building video cast and podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Ken Sinclair, AutomatedBuildings.com. The August issue is out. Check it out. And Lawrence, man, thank you so much. What a pleasure meeting you. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, to touch in with us. As always, we appreciate our community. Remember, be bold. Stay in control. Stay relevant. And make sure you spend some time well spent this week. Be mindful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well done, guys. Lawrence, that was amazing. I loved it. Have a good